Hey, it's Thursday, another episode of the podcast. And I had a conversation with a coaching client of mine two weeks ago. And the thing he was talking about were client expectations. He has this particular client right now. And it's really, really hard because that person is making his life hard and they're changing things the whole time. And I thought, wouldn't this be a great episode? The idea of helping you to understand the importance of managing client expectations. So imagine you've won a training contract, okay? It's a nice piece of work and it's the kind of training program that you can deliver. But before you get too excited, are you clear on what your client's expectations are and how you're going to manage them or deliver on them? Because frequently there is a misunderstanding. I've been there many times. I'm sure you have too. Your client believes you're going to produce one set of results, but you think they're looking for something else entirely, but we're not communicating properly. And when expectations are different on both sides, the client side and the training provider side, it's no wonder that frustrations occur and reputations are damaged. So in this week's episode, we're going to look together at three specific things. One, understanding client expectations. Two, how to manage them professionally. And three, what to do when things go wrong. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. If you've not been here before, this is the show for people like you and me. This is the Training Business Podcast. So as the name suggests, every single week, there is an episode of the show for people like you and me. If you're in the business of producing programs, workshops, helping people through your training, facilitation, coaching, consulting, well, this is the show for you. This is the home, in fact, for people like you and me, because I'm in your shoes. I'm someone who makes a living full-time from working with people, working as an associate for other companies, but also running my own business with my own direct clients. And I guess this is what gives me the credibility to speak to you. I'm not just thinking about this as some kind of abstract idea. I am doing what you're doing. And if you're not doing what I'm doing, you're thinking of joining us in the training business community. Well, this is the show for you. Welcome. And every single Thursday, without fail, there is an episode of the podcast on your platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, or something else. Can I ask you please to subscribe if it sounds like the kind of show you want to come back to? because this costs you nothing and really helps to spread the word about the show. So this week I've mentioned before the music that I want to talk to you about client expectations or more specifically managing client expectations because there've been many times when I feel that uh, the client and myself are not on the same track. Uh, Apportioning blame doesn't solve things, but trying to solve things with communication and professionalism is often the solution. So we want to go and think about a couple of things today. You want to be selected, first of all, okay? You want your company to 
to train people, you, you want to have a good reason for being selected because that's what gives you confidence that you're doing the right thing for the right people for the right reasons, okay? You want to be seen as a helpful training provider, an organized training provider, and a capable results-driven training provider. And if you've done a train-the-trainer before, I suspect many of you have, you're pretty clear on the importance of establishing learning objectives, okay? That's what people who have been through when they've done a TTT or train-the-trainer learn. In fact, if you're a teacher or have been in the teaching profession, you'll know what I mean. You want to be clear on what the learning objectives are. By the end of this program, you will have learned acquired uh, X, okay? But what about the program objectives, the business objectives? If you have your training hat on, you think like a trainer. But if you have your business hat on, you think like a training business owner. You have to think of your program like a business project. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. It also has a scope, and we'll come to that in a moment. So imagine that someone on your client side has recognized the need for skills development for a team, maybe a leadership team or a sales team or a customer care team. The question to ask yourself, first of all, is where has this need come from? Who has identified these needs and who has to shape the requirement for training? So part of what we call your onboarding process involves you clarifying exactly what your client thinks that she or, or he or they need. So here are a couple of questions you might want to ask to help to understand client expectations. What is the training or facilitation program designed to achieve? Who is defining these objectives? How are they involved? How is this person involved in this learning and development or training project, whatever you want to call it? What does good or excellent look like to them, to the business? How will you, she, he, they measure success? What is the scope of the training program? And what is outside of the scope? What are the timelines? And is this realistic or optimistic? So let's go back a second. So you've heard me use the word scope. What does that mean? Well, I qualified in a form of project management a number of years ago, and I learned about the word scope. In fact, scope is a word used outside of project management, but very important to project management. Scope effectively says, this is what this program, this training, this facilitation, this workshop will address, and it does not include these things. So it's quite specific. If we change scope, this has a knock-on effect on the deliverables of the training program. So we have to think of it not just as a learning module, but a program or a project which contains learning objectives and modules, okay? So if we are clear upfront on what is in scope, what this program will achieve, we are clear on what it's not addressing and therefore it doesn't include. Because at some point, someone might decide or feel there is a need to change scope, but then this has a, an effect then on things like how soon training is delivered or the level to which training achieves particular things. So you might be thinking that all of this is a lot of information to ask up front, but when you clarify these things in advance with your client, there are multiple benefits. And I can think of three. 
First of all, everyone is working with the same goal or goals in mind and on paper. Two, you have confidence that your learning program is aligned with that goal or goals. And three, the scope of work delivers on achieving that goal or goals no more or no less. Let me read those to you one more time, okay? So when you ask these things up front as part of your training client onboarding process, one, everyone is working with the same goal in mind and on paper. Two, you have confidence that your program is aligned with that goal or goals. And three, the scope of work delivers on achieving that goal or goals no more or less. Why? Well, because many times people may try to persuade you that something else needs to be addressed. Can we include this? Can we add this on? Can we do, you know, more of this? And and can we have two more of those? And can we add this group of people who've been excluded from the training? They've heard good things. They want to come into it now. Can we pop them in as well into the training room? And maybe you've got another facilitator who could look after that. So as we expand the scope, inevitably, there is a knock-on effect elsewhere. And then things go off plan. But when you have a clear record of work scope, there is less likelihood of confusion and less chance of someone moving the goalposts. And years ago, a learning and development manager took over from her predecessor, and the project I was involved in was halfway through. It was on track, but this one person upset the apple cart. She began to change this and this and this, and lo and behold, uh, it just cost a lot of money to fix and no one was happy in the end. She wasn't happy because she hadn't got what she wanted, and the original stakeholders weren't happy either. So this does happen more often than you'd like to think. So for whatever reason, she believed that the project scope agreed by her predecessor had to be changed. Now, I'm thinking as I'm talking out loud here of something else more recently, and not far off that, in fact. But that brings us to the second part today, which is managing expectations, part two. And the key to this, as I've learned the hard way, is consistent and regular communication, okay? That is the cure for managing expectations, consistent communication. Expectation equals communication, regular, consistent, honest, transparent communication, keeping an open line to decision makers and stakeholders. Your client wants to see you succeed because they've made a decision to contract with you as a training vendor. And you have to keep in mind that people have a vested interest in not making bad choices. In management science, we call this the agency problem, when people make uh, decisions on behalf of an entity or organization, but they put their own interests first because they're human. So people actually want you to succeed. No one, I mean, I can't think of anyone who's ever really wanted me to fail in terms of on the client side, maybe the competition does. But I would say that the way to mitigate this or reduce this risk is to be aware of which risks may arise and to have a proactive plan to mitigate them if and when they arise. But the ultimate thing to cure this is to over-communicate. So literally over-communicate, over-communicate and communicate some more. So ask yourself, who needs to be communicated with? Who are the stakeholders in the training program? Not just the people who asked you or 
sign the contract or the people whom you're training, but who is involved or benefits or loses by the success of the program. So you, you've got to map them out. And this is not difficult, actually. You can create a simple stakeholder communication plan. It sounds complex. It really isn't. You can find templates for this on, on Google, I think. And you can literally take a piece of paper and write down, let's say on the left-hand side, uh, the names of people or departments which need to be involved in communication. And across the top, you could write down um, the things that they want to know about. And then maybe frequency as well. So let's give you an example. Let's say you're running a skills development workshop. The team's line manager may want twice weekly updates about specific things. The HR stakeholder may be happy with just monthly updates. So ask yourself, not just when people need to hear things from you, but what things do they need to hear from you about and what level of information will they need? Because not everyone needs the same thing to the same depth of information with the same frequency. So when it comes to understanding client expectations, you have to understand the client as well, their people, what is important to them and what will keep them happy. And that's key, happy. It's an emotional need. People want to feel involved, consulted, important. People want to feel that you are honest with them and also flexible with them. So sometimes you may want to bend a little bit. You know, For example, I'm working right now with a client who has one employee, one employee only in the Brisbane office in Australia, and she was not part of the original training plan, but as a gesture of goodwill, we're prepared to include her. So, you know, tactically or strategically flexible is what I'd say. Gestures like this don't go unnoticed. When you build that bank of goodwill, and if you screw up, you can, you know, point out how you've been flexible and people have, um, you've let people off the hook is what I'm saying. So it's a two-way street. However, be careful that your client doesn't make a habit of making these kinds of changes or requests too often because that leads to... Um, changing expectations, which could have a, a you know an impact on the outcome. So it's really important here to be transparent and honest. Uh, things will go wrong, but how you correct those mistakes is what is remembered by your client. The level of transparency, honesty, the level of enthusiasm to make things work. We can't know everything in advance, but being seen to try to help without you know, changing things completely and changing project scope, um, that's something you can do, right? So this brings us to our third part today, which is what to do when there are things which go wrong, when there are mistakes, when there are client disagreements. And I think coming back to my point about communication, it's really best to factor in or schedule regular feedback sessions. So we're addressing things before they happen, you're not waiting for things to go wrong until you have a client meeting and they're unhappy with you. Instead, you're nipping things in the bud before they escalate or become a problem. So to give you an example, when I'm running a program longer than 30 days with a client, I intentionally schedule a progress report with them at the end of that 30-day period. So this gives me a couple of 
benefits. It helps me to think about what's been achieved so far so I can communicate what's on track and how well it's working. I can include, uh, you could say, preemptive feedback from the classroom or from delegates or from trainees, call them what you want. And this provides proof that things are working. Similarly, if things aren't working, if someone's complaining, if there's an evaluation sheet which I'm embarrassed about or some feedback which I'm unhappy with, I can bring this to their attention. And the fact that people have the fact that you've done this proactively makes people feel okay. Well, that's that's okay. We can we can address this, but if it comes to them not through you, they might be annoyed more than they would be if you had brought this to their attention in the first place. I mean, you know this stuff, so just keep people in the loop, okay? Um, all the time, reiterate expectations. This is what we agree. This is what we're doing. Um, this is what's happened. Here's our idea, our plan, our suggestion to bring them bring this back on track okay so we're coming to the table with suggestions not just problems and if you're giving regular feedback you could find something that's gone wrong before it becomes a problem you, you so you come to the table with your uh, report about something that occurred but the fix that you've suggested or even better still how this was fixed and what you've done because people want to entrust the program to you and feel that you've got solutions. I mean, that's what we do. We're training providers, for goodness sake. We're, we're, we're there to provide solutions. If someone feels that your skills development program is not meeting objectives, you can always refer to the onboarding document which you created with them or with other stakeholders at the beginning of the program where you or one of your trainers or facilitators has screwed up. You notice this and you do your best to fix it. And this is, of course, part of being a professional. But most of the time, you know, clients know that things will not go to plan. So part and parcel of managing expectations is that you understand what they are. You understand who's been involved in shaping them. You understand why those expectations are important to your client, you know, where they've come from. Is there a reason, some experience they've had that makes them feel this is what we need. But when things don't go wrong, it's how we fix them, how we're seen to fix them, and how quickly we fix them that matters. But ultimately, at the core of all of this, at the core of managing expectations, is communication. Communication, communication, communication. And I would say the last thing is the golden rule of managing client expectations is to under-promise, and if you can, over-deliver, never, never, never the other way around. Next week, of course, there is a fresh episode of the podcast. Every week there is an episode of the podcast, so please subscribe because this, as I said, costs nothing, takes a couple of seconds, and helps to spread the word because James, I, and Sam do a lot of work every single week to bring you an episode of the show. So we'd love to know that this is working for you and helping you. And if there are ways in which I or the team can share guest episodes with you, content, some kind of subjects which you feel will help your business as a current trainer or coach, facilitator, consultant in the learning and development space, then please let me know. You can simply drop me a line. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. I all the time welcome 
feedback from listeners like you, whether it's things that you feel are being done well or things that could be done better or even things that you'd like to hear on the podcast. I'd love to hear from you, Mark at trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, keep going and speak to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.